down to Y Food, the edge facing back right on. The only podcast taking you under the helmet. Expert analysis breaking down the quarterback play in the NFL each weekend. Don't that feel good when your crowd behind you? Let's give them something to cheer for now. This is Inside the Pocket with your host, Greg McElroy. Welcome in. It's Inside the Pocket, the week 11 edition of Inside the Pocket. I'm your host, Greg McElroy, alongside Andrew Emmer, who does a terrific job putting this together each and every week. Hope everyone's Thanksgiving week is off to a wonderful start. Let's start by acknowledging the quarterback spotlight that we did just a couple days ago. We kind of highlighted Deshaun Watson, really the first time we've had a chance to dive into his play this year. And man, I'm glad we did it the when we did. I mean, he really put forth a tremendous effort against the New England Patriots, a team that was very much in the thick of the running for the playoffs. And the, I guess it was a little more open than it is now. I mean, the Bills didn't play, the Dolphins lost. So Patriots had a chance. And sure enough, they squandered that opportunity in large part due to the play of Deshaun Watson. But let's dive in to some of the other incredible matchups and games that we saw this past weekend. The Gold Star Award that we hand out every single week to the best quarterback performance actually goes to two guys, and they just so happen to be playing in the same game. I thought both Derek Carr and Patrick Mahomes were outstanding in Sunday night football. The duel all the way to the end, both guys were remarkably accurate. Uh, Both guys accounted for multiple touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes things. He was six of seven for 75 yards and a touchdown on the Chiefs' game-winning drive. And that was the fifth career, fourth quarter game-winning drive of his career. The amazing thing was how he was able to constantly find both Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill throughout the course of the game. And then, of course, in the game-winning drive, he was four for four when targeting those two guys for 56 yards and, of course, the game-winning touchdown. But, obviously, not to be outdone, Derek Carr was pretty dang hot in starting the game. Clearly, playing against the Kansas City Chiefs must bring out his best. I would even say, if not for the two-minute drive towards the end, you could make a pretty decent argument in favor of Derek Carr with his performance against Patrick Mahomes. Now, statistically speaking... He had another touchdown, but Mahomes outgained them by about 73 yards, et cetera. But it was really six and one half dozen the other. I mean, Derek Carr gave his team a chance to win. I mean, he started the game going three for three for 72 yards and a touchdown on balls that traveled 10 yards or 15 yards or more. That was in the first quarter. However, down the stretch and the rest of the game, they just couldn't stretch the field with the same level of consistency. The final three quarters, he was 0 for 3 on throws that were thrown down the field. And it really was, obviously, the the icing on the cake, the interception at the end. uh, That was kind of the biggest blemish of what was a pretty solid day. So I would say that the quarterback play in both those situations, all in one game for both the Las Vegas Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs, you have to be really impressed with what we saw from those two quarterbacks. Of course, 
Uh, we know that the Chiefs are legit. We know Patrick Mahomes is the clear-cut front runner now for the MVP. I'm not sure it should be that surprising. You know, I I know it don't get me wrong. Like I have been very impressed by everything that Russell Wilson has done this year. How can you not be? But I'm starting to recognize that Patrick Mahomes, and we've talked about this on Get Up and all the other platforms that we discuss quarterback play in the NFL. Mahomes is in dangerous territory as it pertains to bringing home individual hardware. He is essentially going to be measured by his own success, meaning LeBron James doesn't really have that many MVP awards. Michael Jordan doesn't really have that many MVP awards. Because you can't just give it to the best player every year. People will make that argument. They want to give it to the best story or the guy that overperforms or whatever it may be. Like when we suit, when we see Patrick Mahomes or LeBron James do remarkable and miraculous things, it's expected. When we see other people do it, it's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. So Patrick Mahomes is the victim of his own talent level. And I'm glad that he's getting the recognition he deserves. He has had a ridiculous season. I mean, just a ridiculous season. If we're going to look at it, just statistically speaking, and anyone that's ever listened to me, I'm not the biggest stats guy in the world. I'm not. Does it hold value? Sure. But all things considered, stats can be very misleading. But right now, he obviously has the second most wins in the NFL. He's 9-1. and one. Roethlisberger leading the charge with 10 wins. Uh, he is currently, he's sixth in dropbacks, completions, and attempts. But he's first in passing yards and third in passing touchdowns. And then you take into the count that he is right now sixth in passing yards per attempt. And he's only thrown two interceptions this year, his second one coming just Sunday night against the Raiders. I mean, a ridiculous 13 and a half touchdown to interception ratio. The guy's ridiculous. And he also obviously leads the NFL in total QBR here in 2020. He's been ridiculous. So he gets the gold star alongside Derek Carr for his week 11 performance. But unlike what we were talking about just a few weeks ago, I think he is definitely the front runner for the MVP award overall in the league. The Titan Up Award, which we have a tendency of giving out pretty regular basis, this week is going to go to Tua Tungabailoa. As I love him, and he's a rookie, and we should take that into account. He struggled. Uh, it would be really easy to give it to Jake Luton the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars, also a rookie from Oregon State. He threw four picks, but he was playing against the likes of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like when you're a rookie playing against the Steelers, bad things happen. I'm sorry, bad things happen. So I'm not going to kill him for that performance under any circumstance. Like I expected him to be atrocious and he was. He didn't let me down in that regard. But I'm going to give it to Tua not because Tua isn't exceptionally good. I think he is. And if you look at how he's played in each of his first three starts, start one doesn't really work because he didn't really have to do much because the defense was so dominant. Starts two and three, he was excellent. 
However, start number four, it wasn't great. Granted, he did face probably more pressure than he's faced at any point of not just his NFL career, but probably his college career as well. He was pressured on 46% of his dropbacks. I mean, that's the second highest rate. He's been pressured this season, uh, and he didn't really play very well against such pressure. He was only one of six for eight yards and was sacked six times when under pressure. And if you look at how he handled pressure in the first three starts, he completed 50% of his balls and did quite a bit better. Only four sacks over the first three games. Well, on Sunday, like we said, he had only 17% completion with eight passing yards and, of course, six sacks. So he did look a little awkward, too, as he got tackled to the ground. So hoping the best for him. Hearing from his coach, though, it sounds as though he was benched for poor performance, not because of what appeared to be an ankle injury. It's something to monitor there as the days and weeks move forward. And then I'm going to give the bounce back performance. And it's it's kind of been, I want to say it's been a couple weeks in the making. I'm going to give it to Andy Dalton because Andy Dalton, we saw him play pretty well. Now, granted, it was in limited action, but he played pretty well against the Giants. He went in through, I think, seven or eight passes. I don't remember exactly what it was. But he had 111 passing yards and he put him in position to win the game, which they did. Then it got a little ugly. Things did not go well against the Arizona Cardinals. They went even worse against the Washington Football Club. He got hurt in that game, obviously, and missed the last two starts against both the Eagles and the Steelers. He had COVID, got banged up. But my goodness, against the Vikings, he looked like the Andy Dalton that's thrown for 32,000 yards in this league. And not sensational by any stretch of the imagination. His final numbers were 22 of 32 for 203 and three touchdowns against an interception. But he looked very competent. Partly because the rushing game got going a little bit. Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, for that matter. Tony Pollard broke off the long run, but Zeke was probably as steady as he's been all year. And Dalton, finally, after they moved Zach Martin out to tackle, he had some time to throw. And I thought he was pretty dang accurate. All things considered, if you really just kind of stack things up against the rest of the starting quarterbacks in the league, Andy Dalton finished sixth in week 11, one of only seven quarterbacks with a 80-plus total QBR. And he, of course, delivered his first official victory as a starter for the Dallas Cowboys. So I thought his bounce-back performance certainly warranted the bounce-back award for week 11. I honestly think, too, given the struggles that we've seen from Carson Wentz and the fact that I'm just not sure what to make of Washington, I think they're good up front on defense, but outside of that, I have a difficult time understanding what's going on there. And then finally, it's really hard to get a gauge for the New York Giants. I think they've obviously improved drastically 
the last few weeks, but are they yet to the point where they can legitimately threaten in the NFC East? Everyone can, by the way. I mean, what's threatening? Going six and 10? Sure, but I mean, who knows? We'll see what happens. But I think if Andy Dalton plays the way he played on Sunday, the Cowboys might very well find their way into the playoffs. And if you look at their schedule down the stretch, it's not unreasonable to think they'll find their way to the postseason. But a lot to consider here in the weeks to come. All right, when we come back, we'll be joined by Brady Quinn, the former first-round pick of the Cleveland Browns, the former Notre Dame fighting Irish star. He hosts shows on Sirius XM NFL Radio and, of course, is a big part of Fox's college football coverage. We look forward to our visit with Brady next, right here on Inside the Pocket. Welcome back to Inside the Pocket. We are so excited to be joined by our next guest. He was the first-round pick of the Cleveland Browns in 2007, the 22nd overall pick. He is Brady Quinn, does a great job on SiriusXM NFL Radio and obviously contributing to all of Fox's coverage in college football. He's Brady Quinn. Brady, what's going on, man? Not much, Greg. Thanks for having me on, man. Pleasure to join the podcast. Absolutely, man. We really, really appreciate it. I've been listening to you a bunch, uh, filling it up on NFL radio. So I know you've enjoyed what's been a bit of a unique year, uh, but you guys do a great job over there, man. So I listen to y'all all the time over there on Channel 88. So I've had to have you here so I could just ask you questions that I've come up over the course of the last few weeks when listening to you and talking to the other guys, man. So I hope you're willing to entertain some of those questions. I, I will do my best. All right, man. So one thing that I've kind of changed gears on is that Russell Wilson was the runaway favorite. Not even a doubt. Don't even look at anyone else's possibility for the MVP. And that's changed dramatically really in the last week, I guess, (laughs) given the fact that he's had some turnover woes, Uh, even though he had a nice performance against Arizona last Thursday, it's now Patrick Mahomes and his award to lose. How do we feel right now about the MVP race? And is it really a one horse race and almost entirely dependent on how Mahomes plays down the stretch? I don't know that it's a, it's a one horse race. I, I think there's, there's some other options. And for this reason, you know, if you look at just our past two winners, okay. So obviously Patrick Mahomes a couple of years ago, and Lamar Jackson last year, there, there's a few things that I think play a role or, or they're kind of like must haves in order to even qualify for an MVP. You know, one of them is I, I think you got to win your division. So, for example, with, with someone like Russell Wilson, who was in the lead at that point in time, you know, I think they were only a one loss team. I th- they got to what, six and one at one point. He was playing at a really high level. And then he started to kind of go through, get through the turnover bug where that defense just continually put so much on his shoulders time and time again, week after week, that he had to force some plays and, you know, right or wrong you know, made some poor decisions at times that didn't work out and ended up having, I think, over like a four-game stretch, 10 turnovers to nine touchdown passes. And that's bound to happen when your defense plays as bad as they did. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure that will change much the rest of the year, but they're all, the other thing is they're also not in the lead for the division right now. So they've got that working against them. But the thing I really want to point to, as I just kind of rambled for the past you know minute, is it's the style too. It's like the captivating play of Patrick Mahomes, the different arm angles, the kind of crazy scrambles and then ridiculous throws downfield or the no-look throws. You know, Lamar Jackson has those incredible runs 
where he's spinning and running through defenders and making guys miss and then making them look stupid. Right. And then this year, the other guy who I think next to uh, Patrick Mahomes, it, it's Kyler Murray. And at one point we've kind of talked about him. He's kind of been in, he's kind of been out, but it's because of the style in which he runs, you know, he's almost untouchable when he gets an open space because he's just so quick. And then it's the type of throws that he makes and, and you know, the Hale Murray and everything that goes along with it. So I, I know Mahomes is is the front runner now. I think it's a, a pretty fluid situation. I think it will honestly depend, kind of like the Heisman, is like who has that like MVP moment. And I think for for Murray, like that that obviously the Hail Mary or Hail Murray is one of those things. I think he's trademarked just so now we all have to say Hail Murray. Of course. No, well, um, yeah, we gotta we have to like pay royalties. So every time you drop it, that's twice now. The podcast is gonna have to write a fat check to to Kyler Murray, that's for sure. I was just going to say, are you, are you guys covering that or do I have to cover that? Cause I'm, I'm hoping uh, that, uh, that you guys <laughs> take care of that expense. We'll put the bill. We'll send it to, uh, we'll send it to NFL Cohen, our, our big boss, uh, Steve Cohen on Sirius XM Brady, you, you mentioned Lamar Jackson and his struggles have been troubling. Now here's my take on it. I think he's got subpar weapons when you're relying on Des Bryant coming out of retirement to like save your receiving core. That's a problem. I love Andrews but this is a team that has the highest drop rate in the NFL, not named the Packers. And they also, Lamar's not seeing the field great and his bad decisions are not exclusive to the passing game. I think he's making bad decisions in the run game too in the RPO game. But how do they get through this funk and find a way to look and resemble like the team they did last year or even at the beginning of this year? How do they fix this? I think the, the toughest fix is the fact that if they want Lamar Jackson to be able to just drop back back and throw the football 15 plus times a game and be successful doing that. Like it ain't happening this year. I mean, that, that is something that I think takes, you know, years and years and reps and reps for him to get comfortable with. I mean, and, and we can probably speak to this because uh, I don't, and I don't want to speak for you, Greg, but I don't know. I can tell you this. I never had the athleticism and ability to do what Lamar can do. And so when you don't have that you know, ability to do that, you have to anticipate, you have to be really, really good at understanding what the defense is trying to take away. So when you're working through your progressions, you know, you can say, all right, I've got five eligible receivers. I've got five guys in this concept in this progression potentially, but I know number one's not there and number two might be, but then number three is not because of leverage and it's probably going to be number four. And so when you're working after the snap of the football and that's you know how fast your mind has to be able to work, you're basically going two to four, four to five, you know, in that progression, because you know, one and three probably aren't winning based on the leverage or based on the coverage you're presented with. I don't know that Lamar looks at the game that way, sees the game that way, uh, at least not yet. And, and I think that just takes a long, long time to deal with because he's, he's for a long time been able to basically look at, you know, the first receiver maybe gets to the second and then just say, all right, there's space here. I'm going to take off and run because I've been successful. Uh, I've won a Heisman doing this. I've been a, you know, been a guy who's been a first round pick doing this. So I, I, I've won an MVP doing, it. I, I know I can get this done. So I think he's always going to like have that internal battle. So I, I think if you're Greg Roman, their offensive coordinator, you know, he's got to basically almost either stay more diligent with running the football and just having quarterback design runs where, for example, you take away that option for him to read it. I mean, he's one of your most dynamic playmakers, maybe your, your best offensive player. So why even have him read, whether it's a quarterback counter, Q power, Q sweep, whatever the case is, just incorporate more of where he doesn't even have the opportunity to do anything but what he does probably best, and that's run the football. And then in some of the passing game stuff, you know, try to figure out a way of just incorporating easier, simple completions for him. And the one thing that I think, you know, just going back and I was watching, I'm trying to think what 
I was watching an L, uh, Louisville game the other day because I was like, man, was, was he struggling to throw outside the numbers that much back then? And, and when you go back and look, you kind of see them. They didn't really ask him or require him to do it as much. You know, you saw some like three level progressions, things like that. But, you know, if he was throwing more downfield, it was, you know, digs, go balls, some seams, that kind of stuff. Um, but it really wasn't as much outside the numbers. But they've got to figure out a way of getting him comfortable with throwing to that soft coverage all the way outside, either if it's one-on-one or the number three receiver all the way outside in a three-by-one set, because too many teams are giving it to him and they're just not taking it right now. So I, I think as much as it's on Lamar Jackson, it's also on Greg Roman about how he goes about game planning and, and adjusting and adapting. Cause you can't go back to last year. Like everyone's got the book out on that. Um, you know, even Lamar admitted a couple, couple games ago, like people are calling out what they're doing. They've become a little right. bit predictable. Completely. I, I think that they have not adapted to the fact that they don't have a dominant offensive line. Uh, you know, their receivers are subpar relatively speaking for a team that's expected to maybe go to or contend for a Super Bowl. Um, what I'm trying to figure out is like, why don't they implement more of what they're doing with the LA Rams? Like Jared Goff is far from a mobile guy, but the way they marry up their off tackle zones with bootlegs and nakeds and all this stuff that are simple reads, those are easy misdirection reads. You couple that with Lamar Jackson's explosiveness to burst and to create that misdirection. Like, I don't understand why they don't get a little bit more traditional with some of those things and cut the field in half, simplify the reads, become pure progression. And then he's already got a full head of steam when he takes off the run. Like, I'm not saying like completely overhaul your offense, but why don't we start sprinkling in some of that stuff that really, if you look at what the LA Rams are doing, they're not great offensively, but my goodness, they cause problems for a lot of people and they neutralize the pass rush pretty easily. It's such a great point. And I think the other thing is, is like one of the issues they've kind of had is like Skura at, at, at the center position, right? It wasn't right. playing as well. They made a change there. It's like, well, maybe you don't have to worry about bad shotgun snaps either, which, which was obviously an issue for him if you're running some of those boots from, from under center. But no, I, I think those are the things that like every play caller, hopefully they're, they're flexible enough and they're not the type that is, is trying to, you know, force Lamar Jackson outside of his comfort zone to do something he's just, you know, not prepared for yet. But those are like the, the kind of football one-on-one easy things, right? Like if you're putting together an offense, you run the football and then you have run, you have passes that are paired off of that, whether they're boots or play action. And then you start to develop from there, your three-step, five-step, seven-step, and then everything else from there, passing it, move the pocket, et cetera. So I, I'm with you on that. I, I don't know if it's just something that Greg Robin doesn't want to do, but it really not only would play to the strength, I think of Lamar Jackson with a skill set to get outside and potentially run, but also their tight ends. Like Mark Andrews is their best offensive weapon right. in the passing game. So whether it's to him or then you incorporate something where he leaks out the backside and you've got kind of that tight end throwback that you see, you know, sometimes, you know, teams like to put in there or, or maybe a deep shot off of that where you have more of a max protect to Hollywood Brown down the field. Like all those things I think would be, they'd be much better suited for than how they're running their offense right now. No question about it. As we visit with Brady Quinn, uh, does such a great job on Fox and obviously on Sirius XM NFL radio. Another guy right now that's trying to find himself is Tom Brady. And I'm having a hard time understanding, like, why is it that Bruce Arians is trying to change who Tom Brady is in his year 43, you know, I mean, his 43rd year on this, on this earth. And we're trying to change who he is by making this downfield play action passer. Like, why is it that Arians refuses to relinquish complete control 
of this offense. Like Brady is a dink and dunker and he's going to smoke the middle of the field and layer the football beautifully under 22 yards. Throwing the ball way downfield is not something he's ever done at any point in his career. So help me understand why it is the Tampa Bay's struggling like they are and how do we get the best out of Tom Brady down the stretch so they can make a Super Bowl run? Well, I do find that interesting, and I, and I would challenge that, that he, he's just been a dink and dunker because I remember, like, early film that I watched when Charlie Weiss first came over to uh, Notre Dame from New England. I mean, they used to take shots. I mean, they used to take deep throws down the field all the time. I mean, Troy Brown, et cetera. I mean, all those guys. And, you know, back then, and if you would ask Charlie and if you would ask Josh, the biggest difference, I think, between both their offenses was, you know, Charlie was the type that, you know, like to have more of your seven, you know, seven steps or I should say seven man, you know, play action, drop, you know, drop back down the field throws off of the running game. You know, Josh really likes spreading things out more, more 11 personnel, more empty sets, more trying to utilize the running backs and tight ends and displacing them to help give you answers and then giving you either a matchup with a wide receiver versus, um, you know, a, a linebacker where you're going to create an advantage. Or if it was man-to-man, then you kind of pick your pick your matchup and pick where you want to work the football to, whether that was the running back tight end or a wide receiver on the inside. So I would say that over the course of his time with Josh McDaniels, he's been kind of viewed as a, as a dink and dunker. Or they've been taking more of the defense kind of gives them in that regard. But, I mean, you go back to the days with guys like Randy Moss and, and just how they used to, like, throw down field with him or, you know, going back to Troy Brown and even Deion Branch, I mean, Th- those guys, I mean, they, they like to take chunks. They like to take chances downfield. Uh, and that was kind of how I think they built their offense back then. But, but it, it really goes to this. Like, don't you feel like Tom Brady also kind of asked for this? I mean, this is this had to have been, too, what he was looking for. Like, maybe he got tired of dealing with, you know, everything in regards to just what that offense was, the New England-style system, and so many people doubting right. that he could throw down the field. Maybe he wanted to make that decision. That was part of what brought him or was attractive about you know, Tampa Bay and then Bruce Arian system. Well, I think that's reasonable. My thing though, is he's always been such a rhythmic passer. Like, I mean, a high completion percentage, you know, whether it's chunks or back shoulders or isolations or creating matchup problems or, Hey, you hit guys on the move. All right, man. Perfect. I'm going to work Gronk backside one-on-one, or I'm going to hit Edelman over the middle on some type of option route, some, you know, quick return route or something along the lines of that. And I don't see any of that being sprinkled in. Like, I don't, I'm not suggesting that they need to have some wholesale change. And all of a sudden the Tampa Bay Buccaneers become the Josh, Josh McDaniels Buccaneers. Like I'm not suggesting that what I'm saying is I don't understand why they've completely abandoned what made Brady the best quarterback of all time. He's Brady in the last decade has been pretty dang solid with Josh McDaniels and that style of offense kind of being a big part of, of what it is they do. So I guess I don't see any of it, not even a little bit, maybe, maybe five or six plays a game that look real similar to what we saw in new England, but I'm not seeing enough of that. I'm seeing more Arians from Arizona than I am new England with Tom Brady. So how does it that like can, can that, ha- can that change? Like you've been a starting quarterback in the league, Brady, can you change your stripes at this point of the season or is it too late? I guess at this point. No, no, I, I think you definitely can, especially, you know, for someone like Tom Brady, who's played for so long and, you know, for a lot of the group that's there, I mean, you got a lot of veteran guys who played a lot of football. It's, it's not like you got a bunch of spring chickens out there. So I, I don't think there's a problem of them ad- adjusting or adapting. And I think that's the other thing too, like Tom Brady playing in a New England system his entire career. I think you would be 
hard-pressed to find a team that could change week to week what their game plan was more than a New England Patriots offense, you know, or, or defense for that matter, you know, where they would, you know, go out and maybe throw the football 24 straight times some weeks and the next week run it 24 straight times. Like that's just, right. that's just kind of how they operated. So they can definitely change at this point. And I think, look, go back to this past, you know, Monday night. I do think that was kind of part of what they were trying to do. Like a, they didn't want to allow Aaron Donald to have an impact on the game. So they tried to get the ball out of Tom's hand quick. I think they knew that that front was them was going to be a mismatch for him. But it was a lot of short passes, you know, short, quick passes and targets to Antonio Brown, who's not really in the same role we're accustomed to seeing, where it's like these bigger chunks or bigger plays downfield. And then Chris Godwin. And then it was like an occasional shot to Evans. But, you know, I think it's in regards to like, if you go back and look at the interception, the first one, I personally felt like it was the right spot and, and he was going to the right guy. But he was he was impacted by the rush. He couldn't get his lower right. half into the throw, and that had affected it. The, the last one was just a bad throw, and and Bruce Arians can defend it and say they don't have chemistry together. They should at this point in time in the season. So there's really no you know explanation for that. He probably could have thrown one or two more, but I just I think the one thing that's missing is the consistency of a run game. Like Ronald Jones had 192 yards two weeks ago. This past week, I mean, did they even have over 20 yards? So it just that was one thing in New England that like you always had to a degree like I just I seldom remember them ever being able to not run the football uh, like effective enough to make the play action effective or at least to to have an semblance of balance on offense like I think the times they've really struggled this year they they abandoned the run game as quick as anyone and it's just a bit surprising because that's one thing that has kind of been there throughout the course of his career in New England yeah, no, I think that's a great point too. They got to take some of the pressure off the passing game and the offensive line more specifically because those guys can't necessarily keep great pass rushing defenses in front of them. Brady, you can't tell you much. We appreciate the time, man. We look forward to our future visits. We look forward to also hearing you on NFL radio on Sirius XM channel 88 and seeing you at the big noon Fox kickoff show each and every Saturday alongside the crew. Are you enjoying that crew? Do we need to make a call to liner and Reggie and herbs? Like, is everyone in a good mood? Like every, everyone good. Like I, yeah. I feel, I feel like you guys have a blast every Saturday. So I've enjoyed watching you guys develop the chemistry over the last couple of years. We do. We do. I just think this, I mean, you can speak this This college football season has had a lot of surprises, you know I mean? Like Michigan, the way they've been this year, Penn state, like as far as the big 10 goes, um, I mean, I, I, and I, I was kind of higher on IU, I think, than a lot of the other guys, but just as bad as Penn State's been and Michigan's been, like, that's what's been shocking is, like, what happened to the Big Ten this year? It's, it's really led by Ohio State than kind of everyone else. I know Northwestern's undefeated, and, you know, we'll see what, what they can do the rest of the season. But that's been, a, that's been one of the things that I think we kind of walk away every week going, what has happened to the Big Ten right now? Maybe it's college football in general. You know, it looks like this Bama and Florida and everyone else right now in the SEC and Clemson, Notre Dame and everyone else in the ACC. Maybe that's just where college football is going. No, definitely. We're trending in that direction, at least here in the short term. Brady, we appreciate it, man. We look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for us. The week 11 edition of inside the pocket. Look forward to diving in to Thanksgiving week Football, one of the best weeks of football of the year. Of course, a triple header on Thanksgiving. So many games with college football Friday and Saturday, and then a full slate on Sunday, followed by Monday night 
football. So it should be an excellent week of football. Please enjoy your loved ones. Everyone stay safe. If you are traveling, know that we'll be thinking about you here on Inside the Pocket. For Andrew Emmer, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. And remember, you can download this podcast wherever it is you get your podcast, and you can always catch us on the SiriusXM app. SiriusXM Podcasts.